Up there, I saw a UFO, and it went down the river, turned right at the United Nations, <laughs> turned left, and then down the river. It wasn't a helicopter, it wasn't a balloon, and it was so near. Then you look what sort of uh, round, just, white, just luminescent, like, and silent. Uh, silent, and it looked dark, like black or gray in the middle, and had white lights, just looked like light bulbs, you know? Just going off, on, off, on, off, on, blink, 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 round the bottom, and on top was a red light. I had a dream about this place. ghost stories for the end of the world this is part two of dulce midnight radio did i say that right yeah that's right awesome right so this is the uh concluding part of our um discussion about the uap phenomenon and we thought that for this episode we could kind of get a little bit more um optimistic dare i say hopeful about the subject uh while still remaining you know very much uh aware and hard-headed about what the motivations of all the different people involved in this ongoing disclosure movement um might be but also for this opening segment of this episode we thought that we should probably circle back to ttsa that's to the stars academy um the group that tom delong uh, is kind of the front man of and talk a little bit more about some of the people involved in that and how it came to be um, because it's definitely uh, an outfit that bears a little bit more scrutiny than it has been given from the uh, UFO community right now. So Bradley, what's up? Shall we do it? Shall we go deep on TTSA? Yeah, let's do it. How do you want to start? So I figure that we should probably point out that um, TTSA actually kind of is an outgrowth of a, a group that was begun by a guy called Robert Bigler uh, way back in 1995. Uh, he would basically host these meetings uh, in an office near Las Vegas airport with a bunch of um, government and military and scientific leaders who had an interest in UFOs and the paranormal. Uh, and he somewhat grandly called this the National Institute for Discovery Science. 
so we've got um, John Alexander. John Alexander. He's a co-founder and he's a retired army officer. Um, we've got Ed Mitchell, who is an astronaut. We've got Harrison Schmidt, who was a U.S. senator uh, from New Mexico, I think. I think. Uh, and we also have kind of hovering around there, Harry Reid, who is the U.S. Uh, senator from Nevada. Um, and George Knapp, who's a kind of journalist and UFO investigator. He's the one who actually makes the introduction between Harry Reid and Robert Bigelow. And if I'm not mistaken, Harry Reid is quite a key player in, in the current UFO disclosure movement as well. Is that right? Yeah, it, he is, but at the same time, he isn't. All he did was say a bunch of things about UFOs and help facilitate the founding of ATIP. Right, okay. So then you have Bigelow kind of, uh, he goes to the Pentagon, I think, and he basically says, um, I'm ready and willing to investigate the uh, UAP phenomenon. And they get, they essentially give this guy $20 million to to do just that. And this is this is the program, isn't it, that uh, eventually got, uh, we say exposed, but uh, yeah. it, it got revealed yeah. uh, a couple of years ago. Yeah, in, the, um, in James Fox's recent documentary, The Phenomenon, which is actually fantastic, um, a little... Yeah, it's a great film as well. Yeah, it's a little uh, not as critical as I'd like it to be sometimes, but there's one part towards the middle where Chris Mellon um, says that the um he chose the new york times he was the one who facilitated the release of these three videos the and he chose the new york times to break the story he the, the narrator literally, literally says that and then it goes into a little bit where like they're right outside the pentagon talking like under a tree in the shade and he says that he was given the videos um in the pentagon parking lot by a good patriot individual who will remain anonymous and that this is actually, it's okay that he broke classification law or like whatever um, because he was doing the right thing. But only this time, this is the only time that anybody is allowed to do that is with these three specific videos and with Chris Mellon. Yeah, and um, just for a, a bit of background on Mellon. So he was the uh, former staff director of the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence. Is that right? I think I think um, so. He was also um, the oh shit. The title is so long. It's like the Under Secretary of Defense for Intelligence, something. Um, <laughs> I, I don't. He, yeah, he he's. I think he was the third highest ranking civilian in the Pentagon. Yeah. Um, just a suggestion, you know, from uh, the mother country. Um, you guys need to shorten your politicians' titles. They yeah. it gets it gets a little bit too long. It's you know? it's. Uh, it's wait what are yours called like what would your so we you know we just have like the secretary of tr the treasury uh the, yeah, we the right that. honorable yeah. fellow for nonsense you know that kind of thing <laughs> like we, we we just don't we don't believe in having more than five words in a title you know As, everybody's clearly defined one thing that you guys got right <laughs> <laughs> so yeah and and just to um pick up on that as well about the the leaking of these videos so here we're talking about uh fleur gimbal 
and GoFast. These are the three famous videos that the New York Times uh, published Correct. and that everybody is aware of now. It's also the only oh. thing anybody's aware of now. It's yeah, the only, yeah. They've been coasting off these three videos, which for for years now, and I, I don't know how to read a FLIR camera. Yeah, I mean, no, the, the thing is, all of these videos could have been easily faked. And beyond that, am I right in saying that at least two of them had already been leaked onto the internet at least like 10 years before this happened? Yeah. Nimitz incident happened in 2004. Correct. And I remember looking at the Tic Tac video around 2008, 2009, something like that. Yeah. Um, the um, Hold on. Is the... Uh... I, I always mix up the names. Is the Tic Tac video the... I think the Tic Tac video is GoFast, I think. Okay, um, that, Okay. yeah, yeah, that would make sense. Yeah. So I guess I was kind of wondering, like, uh, why is it news that these videos dropped in 2017 when they were already available on the internet, you know, uh, so many years before? And why you think... That it, why you think that is that it's become such big news now well first of all like i don't give a shit about videos like i don't think i mean we live in a world where this shit doesn't matter anymore like it, videos can it, you could have the best video in the world and it will be too good and will have to be fake or you can have a blurry video and not be able to tell what it is and it it's not good enough to be able to tell what it is. So it, like, it's, I, I don't see any value in video uh, evidence or anything like that anymore. The fact that two of these videos were out before, and I know for a fact that at least one of them has a extended version and is many minutes longer. Um, it's, <sighs> It's it's mind blowing that this has been able to happen because it's like you said, two of them were out before, and now it's still what they're coasting on. It's still like basically all they've got, they being the state and TTSA, to hold up their credibility. Yeah, um, I mean, this is the thing. Like, uh, to the Stars Academy has kind of been coasting on these three videos for going on four years now five years yeah. four years so yeah. nothing new has really emerged except for this ufo report that happened in june that's that's literally i couldn't have said it better myself this is nothing new i mean yeah like, this is it's that, that's my been my biggest thing because i've been into this since i was um 14 years old on and off and like the amount of or lack of any type of documentary evidence or actual physical any anything in the past four years ever since the december 2017 article in the launch of ttsa is there's literally nothing there i've i've learned absolutely nothing the only thing i've learned is that there's a new and improved ufo psyop yeah i i would go along with that um so i guess we should probably break down um to the stars academy's actual kind of alumni you know the uh the founding fathers so to speak and some of sure. the people that are involved with it um so people get a better idea of of what kind of actors are actually at play here uh, the other the other thing i wanted to mention first is that um i think in the last episode i mentioned that ttsa was founded in 2017 that's not 
exactly true. In 2015, it was founded, I think, just as To the Stars without the Academy and was a uh, basically a record label to put out solo Tom DeLonge and Angels and Airwaves albums. Um, and the first Tom solo B-sides uh, uh, album was called To the Stars, dot, 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 something else. Right, okay. So in, the... in 2015. Right, yeah. He, so... he gets an idea and he 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 rides with it. He he really ran with that shit. Yeah. So, yeah, so we have uh, Tom DeLonge. He is a lifelong UFO fanatic. He is desperate to discover the truth which is out there somewhere. Um, and he uh, decides that he's going to found TTSA, well, first as a kind of promotional vehicle, but then as a a way to to uncover the truth, basically. Yeah. Um, who does he actually meet that led to um, everything that we're looking at at the moment? Who, who was it he actually met up with? Um, I'm struggling to remember the guy's name now. So he in um, Tom gave. Well, he, the other thing is that like you have to take a lot of Tom's claims with a grain of salt because he says a bunch of conflicting shit just because he's a doofus and is also playing a game that is hard to um, uh, sort of succeed in without lying to people and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So he he in one interview he mentions how he was playing a bunch of people off each other and just lying to people saying he's talking to so-and-so when really he's not when it's more just handshakes and pleasantries type of thing but he also says stuff that also sounds kind of sus but also there's stuff that he has said that does make sense and a lot of that is in his interview with george knapp um on coast to coast am in march 2016 where he gets into the TTSA origin stories. And this is also, to be clear, like before Tom DeLonge had um, handlers. TTSA wouldn't launch for a little while yet. This is um, this is raw, uncut Tom. He tells George Knapp that, quote, I went in very, very respectful and asked for permission on everything that I did and treated it the way that these guys would treat it, which is as a national and global security issue. And then he goes in to talk about how he was basically invited by a friend to a Lockheed Martin, like basically family day, like a sort of like a, like a picnic type of like, um, just, uh, workplace family day. Yeah. If I'm, if I'm not mistaken as well, um, they also, in addition to the CIA and the Navy, Lockheed Martin um, let him in on some of their, um, they call it skunk works. The skunk works, that's right. Yeah. The, the, the secret squirrel, like um, the, the people who develop all the super secret spy planes. The, the most advanced of advanced spy craft kind of thing. Yeah, um, not, not the F-35. Yeah, <laughs> most definitely not. Um, and they invited him to come and have a look at what they were working on there as well. Yeah, so he got plugged in through like uh, Tom had had this idea to, however bird brained it really was, like he had this vision that he was going to bring about UFO disclosure um, and had a sort of plan to bring it about. And he had a pitch ready and he wanted to pitch it to the head of Lockheed Martin Skunk Works. 
See, the other thing that I'm quite curious about as well is um, DeLong emailing um, John Podesta. Yeah. Because <laughs> I, I remember when WikiLeaks dropped um, Hillary's emails in 2016, whenever it was, um, and people telling me, oh, shit, you know, Tom DeLong has been talking to uh, John Podesta about UFOs. Um, so it seems like even before uh, TTSA was a thing, he was already kind of reaching out and connected to people that were quite high up, you know, in the uh, the U.S. government um, and political establishment. Yeah, I mean, Tom was basically playing the game. He was um, he had some clout in the entertainment world and he had a name that people recognized and people take that more seriously than just a nobody like me and he was able to get in contact with john podesta if you read the emails actually it's they're kind of really sad in that tom is like very very uh desperate and he's obviously just begging john podesta yeah to say things there was one time where john podesta forwarded one of his emails to somebody else and he was like um he's quoted tom saying something like our secret plan and then the person he was forwarding it to responded just with jesus <laughs> that, i mean that's that that's the, the the i don't know how seriously john podesta took tom DeLong is the thing he didn't do a lot of the emailing it was largely his assistant um leslie kane keen is also in there too um so is uh, um, Edgar Mitchell, an astronaut and UFO disclosure activist. And yeah, we'll, we'll remember Leslie Keen is the New York Times journalist who uh, was worked. selected by. Yeah, she was uh, selected to leak those videos of the, the uh, Fleur, Gimbal, and Gurfast UFO. Correct. She, she was the uh, co author of the December 2017 story, and her family members were senators and on the 9-11 yeah, commission yeah, and stuff like yeah. that yeah yeah and edgar mitchell was already embedded with bigler he was part of the uh um, that's right national institute for discovery science that we talked about yeah his so, his his emails actually in the podesta emails if you look at them like they're actually kind of moving like they're very long passionate like um they're not they're not like times where he's just like this sort of um weaselly like sort of uh doing various pitches and trying to get people on board it's very clear he's playing a game when edgar mitchell is just so genuine and passionate and writing these like short story long emails about how important it is that we make peaceful conscious contact with the ets yeah then you also have um i remember reading a political uh, po i'm sorry excuse me politico article about um delong and you know to the stars academy and stuff and it also says that uh delong met with uh robert bigelow in about 2017 this was uh just after delong had established um to the stars academy of arts and sciences as it's called now now what i find interesting about that is that bigelow has kind of He's not really being considered a major player in TTSA, but his fingerprints are all over this project, this TTSA project, uh, every, right down to the fact that they're using a lot of the same key people that he was working with back in the mid-90s. Yeah. The, the, I mean, the thing with Bigelow is he's 
like I mean, you said it perfectly. His his fingerprints are everywhere. I mean, his he could. I would kind of go further and say his like um, his fingers are kind of like up everybody's buttholes, like they're puppets <laughs> and are controlling everybody. I, I I honestly think that he's been around. I mean, he was the reason Art Bell had a show. He funded the Art Bell show. There you go. Um, just for just for listeners who aren't aware, who is Art Bell? We used a snippet of one of his more famous call-ins at the start of the last episode, but yeah, I think it was AM. Yeah, he. I mean, he he started what is now Coast to Coast AM, which is a huge syndicated radio show that takes place in the middle of the night, um, and is all about the. The most fringe shit that you can imagine, like um, like people talking about how we should go back to worshiping the sun, or like uh, uh, <laughs> that the reptilians are real, and that I actually, yeah, you know what I mean. He strikes me as a more respectable Alex Jones, if I can be quite honest. I um, honestly, I kind of, I like Art Bell a lot. Like he, he's Bell, he's a um, he's a fine. kook, but like he was a. He, he seemed very grounded at the same time. It was really bizarre. It's a weird combination. Right, so I guess if we go through a quick rundown of like who's actually on to the Stars Academy, um, the board, the advisors kind of thing, um, I've got a list of some of the people here, which I think the listeners will find quite instructive and will probably be, be able to draw their own conclusions about how sincere this actually is. Uh, should bear in mind as well, I don't doubt that Tom DeLong is actually sincerely trying to... Um, I totally agree. I totally agree. Yeah, I think he is for real, but I think the people that he surrounded him with are playing him. Yeah, he 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 I mean he was I, the way I look at it is that he is a like I said last time he's a doofus who didn't really quite understand how the national security state works. Yeah. And ended up just falling onto these people's laps on a silver platter or whatever. And he was able to um, facilitate a sort of new uh, UFO psyop. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and to wit, you have um, co founders of TTSA. You have Jim Semivan. He's a 25 year CIA officer um, at the director Directorate of Operations. Yeah. You have uh, Chris Miser, who is a private ex equity expert, a co-founder of um, Vivarian Capital, um, which owns shares in a bunch of Silicon Valley tech companies and Ooh. some shares in arms companies as well. Yikes. And then as advisors, you have people like Dr. Hal Puthoff. Mm. I think I'm pronouncing that right. Yeah, um, Puthoff. 
basically put off. It, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. It, it's, it says it all put off yeah mm-hmm. so he's an engineer cia connected with an interest in the paranormal and he also conducted remote viewing experiments for the cia this is this is one of the ogs like this is one of the guys that's been around for 50 years he, he yeah stanford yeah. research pro, uh, uh proud uh, what is it stanford shit is it called stanford research project yeah it's the srp yeah stanford okay. research project Gotcha. Uh, if um, listeners have uh, seen the film or read the book, The Men Who Stare at Goats, mm-hmm. Dr. Hal Puthoff is a major player in that. Um, yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot of um, pretty, uh, pretty, pretty kooky shit. He's been within these uh, the bowels of the intelligence apparatus for so many years. He he's not grounded in reality anymore. <laughs> he is no longer of this plane. Basically. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, then we have um, Chris uh, Hendon. He is the former deputy assistant to the president. Um, we have Dr. Norm Khan. He um, received the CIA's Distinguished Career Medal. And then we have Dr. Paul uh, Rapp. I think that's how it's pronounced. Uh, he got a CIA certificate of commendation for the significant contributions to research and development. And Yikes. if you work, in, yeah, yeah, if you work in CIA research and development, the odds are good that you have killed someone with LSD, or you uh, dreamed up a way to kill someone with LSD. Or, or like, like I, I, I'm never gonna forget the one time I was. I came home from work at like 2 a.m. once, and I saw a new Black Vault um, uh, a FOIA release about how the CIA in the 70s had put uh, implants in dogs' heads and basically made live bi- biological dogs robots. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely insane shit. So, effectively, Tom DeLong wanted to storm the headquarters of the Men in Black and expose the secrets therein. And he yeah, ended he, up, he thought he, he thought he was smarter than them. Basically, he thought he was smarter than the Men in Black, and the Men in Black have ended up becoming part of to the Stars Academy while telling him that he's actually getting somewhere. He's actually making progress. Uh huh. Um. So we also have uh, Christopher Mellon, who we've mentioned before. That's right. Um, so him and Lou Elizondo, uh, who we mentioned last episode, we talked a lot about Elizondo. Yeah, I think we got into him playing. Uh, <laughs> they now host uh, Unidentified, um, which is, a, I think, is, is that on the History Channel? It's on the History Channel. I yeah. don't know if it's going to be renewed for a third season. Right. Okay. We but can only I... hope. We can only hope <laughs> that we get a third season. Yeah, I, I watched it all. I mean, it's um, in the same way that like um, the UFO report was revealing with of of, so, uh, of some things that most people didn't really get. Uh, unidentified was kind of the same way. They mention um, in the first season that General McCasland was involved in all this, which uh, that's a whole that's its whole own can of worms. But the um, the important thing is that the entire show is military witnesses post Nimitz or Nimitz or post Nimitz. They're all, it's very pro, it, it, it's a perfect like US imperialist propaganda operation. It is unbelievably jing, like jingoistic and it, it is my, infuriating how they've 
made this topic so fucking lame and reductive. There, there's a part in um, the episode that um, about nukes, UFOs and nukes. It's season two, episode three. Um, when, for those who don't know, Robert Hastings um, is the man when it comes to UFOs and nukes stuff. He's been doing it for 40 years. He's got a book called UFOs and Nukes. Go is ahead. he a journalist? Or, uh... He was a basically custodian at Maelstrom Air Force Base. Um, okay. who got to be friends with um, some of the radio technicians and was there when um, one of their big incidents happened in the late 60s um, and got obsessed with it. So I guess you could call him a journalist. He did a bunch, he did journalistic work. Mm. Um, but in this episode, which I don't think they mentioned the name of Robert Hastings whatsoever, which uh, loans credence to my theory that they're trying to, uh, get across the idea that TTSA and ATIP invented UFO studies. Um, the fact it's it's insane they don't mention him at all when he's that bitch when it comes to this stuff. Anyways, in the episode, about ten minutes, eleven minutes in, Chris Mellon says the words, "quote These weapons and programs are the ultimate guarantor of our security." And then it immediately cuts to like a hard cut to old footage of a Chinese military parade or demonstration in front of giant portraits of Chairman Mao. So you understand immediately what you're being told there. Yeah, that, that was the biggest thing. I mean, yeah. like I already knew what the show was. And then when I saw that, I was like, oh, oh that, that <laughs> it's this is neo-Cold War shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there can, there can be no mistake about what the message is here that I'm being sent. And then after that hard cut, Mellon goes on to say, quote, any potential adversary would seek to neutralize that capability. These unidentified craft, they're demonstrating capabilities far in excess of those we possess. So we have every reason to find out who's operating these vehicles, how they work, and why they're here. Which is, Mellon's not an idiot like he knows more than any of us and he is making it very clear that these are vehicles and not some type of paranatural phenomena or that something we don't understand yet and that with literally overlaid with Chinese military parades it's so in your face it's It's almost insulting it's it's on the nose it's so frustrating yeah exactly yeah um so I guess like what we're trying to say is that like you have to be aware of the kind of hyper nationalist undertones and I, I would you even call them undertones when they're that blatant? I don't know. Like, I think I think for a lot of people they are, unfortunately. But yeah, I guess like the, this kind of uh, militarism is nothing new, really, in UFO uh, studies. It's if not actually. You mind that. if I? Do you mind if I um uh, read a couple things? Speak on it. Speak on it, King. So I just read um, this book. I think I mentioned it in the last episode, this literal textbook called UFOs and Government uh, Historical Inquiry by Robert Powell and Michael Swords. Mm -hmm. And it gets into the literal, like almost like day-to-day drama of a lot of mid-century UFO stuff in the U.S. government. And uh, there's a couple parts that I was really interested in in the context of the current UFO discourse and government um, sort of flip-flop and how it treats the subject. And that is that, um, well, one, it has always been about national security. It's literally no different in that respect. There's these vague allusions to the Ruskies and the Chinese 
and being technologically leapfrog. That is all the same. The part that I found most interesting right now um, in this context is there's a lot of talk in the UFO report of um, U.S. military sensors and like um, different types of data collection apparatus that um, collect data on UFO stuff like cameras or um, air pressure sensors or like all these different like types of things that you never really think about. And there was one part um, in UFOs and government, there's a bit about uh, in the mid fifties, um, Werner von Braun's um, rocket technology mentor, Dr. Herman Oberth, um, he said this regarding UFOs. Sometimes they suddenly blink out or extinguish. Their speed is sometimes very high. 19 kilometers a second has been measured with wireless measurement instruments, aka radar. Accelerations are so high that no man can stand it. He would be pressed to the wall and bruised. The accuracy of such measurements has not been doubted. If there would be only three or four measurements, I would not rely upon them and would wait for further measurements. But there is in existence more than 50 such measurements that wireless sets, parentheses radar, of the American Air Force and the Navy, which are used in all fighters, cannot be so accurate that the information obtained from them can be doubted completely. This is the mid-50s. 50 such... One of the things that confused me most about the UFO report was the mentions of sensors. I couldn't get a grasp on what sensors meant. Mm-hmm. Um, I hit up a couple of people to ask them and they either didn't get back to me because I sent them a lot of stuff and there was a lot to reply to or because they didn't know or yeah. because they just don't like me. I don't know. But the <laughs> um, 50 such types of measurements in the mid 50s was very um, revealing because all we ever think about is visual or radiological or um, electromagnetic or like, yeah. anything like that. 50. And this is in the mid 50s. Yeah, And that was very revealing because there's a lot of talk in the UFO discourse about um, sensory data, and there's never any elaboration about what that means. Okay, so here's my thing. I'm going to drop it now. So basically, we spent uh, the, the majority of last episode kind of being deeply fucking cynical about all of this kind of UFO disclosure. And we've spent the opening half an hour, 40 minutes, whatever this is, being especially cynical of To The Stars Academy. But then you drop something like that that does kind of, once again, uh, rekindle the, the, the embers, you know. And it kind of does make you think, well, despite everything that we know about the people that are involved in this disclosure movement and their possible motivations, there must be something going on here that is worth uh, covering up at the very least. I'm I'm glad you said that. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Well, I'm not saying it's aliens from, you know, the Clendathu system that are coming down to earth to uh, teach us their hippie ways and how to uh, advance as a species. I'm just saying there is obviously, I think that it's obvious that there is something going on here that the US government and in fact, you know, governments around the world are desperate to try and cover up. I don't know what that something is, but it feels like there is something going on here. 
so one of the big um, red flags for me regarding the uh, commentary, its um, uh, um, analysis of the UFO report and whatnot, is that, well, actually, it was a couple of days before the UFO report came out. In the New York Times, um, an article came out called U.S. Finds No Evidence of Alien Technology in Flying Objects, But Can't Rule It Out Either. Just, just groundbreaking reporting from the New York Times there. Yeah, pretty um, remarkable. They're it, quoting like anonymous intelligence sources. They say, according to senior administration officials briefed on the findings of a highly anticipated government report, the report determines that a vast majority of more than 120 incidents over the past two decades did not originate from any American military or other advanced U.S. government technology, the officials said. That determination would appear to eliminate the possibility that Navy pilots who reported seeing unexplained aircraft might have encountered programs the government meant to keep secret. Then, the day before the UFO report came out, Chris Mellon wrote a blog post on his website, um, ChristopherMellon.net, that, quote, um, the U.S. the United States has the most advanced aerospace capabilities of any country and spends more than twice as much on defense as Russia and China combined. The administration and Congress conferred that that these objects are not classified U.S. aircraft. And then there's it, it's it's so stupid because then, then the UFO report goes on to suggest that in one part. It is not classified. It uses the term USG, United States government, or industry developmental programs. And it says some UAP observations could be attributable to developments and classified programs by US entities. We were unable to confirm, however, that these systems accounted for any of the UAP reports we collected. That's on page five. So it's like, what the fuck? What? So it, it assuredly isn't U.S., but it also could be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm not also I'm also not implying that technology that like the Tic Tac is actually like a flying like vehicle that can do these things. I'm not saying that at all. <laughs> I am 100% saying the Tic Tac is a fucking alien spacecraft. I decided. <laughs> I decided during the recording of this episode, yeah, I, I want to go there. Give it, give, give it, give it 24 hours. It'll probably change your mind. Yeah, yeah. As, um, I mean, I've changed my mind so many times about what the Tic Tac was, and I'm convinced that that's the point. This kind of brings us on to the, the meta materials. Yes. And I guess we can, we can talk about this and then a bit of Eric Davis, and then we'll drop the cynicism and we'll, <laughs> we'll perfect, get perfect, a little perfect. bit uh, more upbeat. To send the listeners home happy, kind of thing. Yeah, I mean that's um, the that's the other thing is that a lot of this is this uh, you you can be very cynical and have a lot of fun with this. Yeah. So basically, um, for any any listeners who are uh, unsure, essentially, I am not um, a UFO guy. Generally, uh, I was into it when I was a kid. I think I said that last episode. But um, I've fallen well out of the loop, like over the the last like twenty years or so. Um, so when I've been kind of getting interested in it all again, um, one of the things that came to my attention recently is something called the Wilson Papers. 
and I had never heard of this before. Um, <laughs> and now that I have heard of it, I kind of can't get it out of my head. Um, and it's, it's lodged in there. Um, kind of like a, it's like Epstein brain to the power of 1000. Would you say that's a fair way to describe it? Um, given that I haven't dug too deep into the, uh, Wilson documents, I can't say for sure, but I know I mentioned on the last episode that the, uh, the fact that so many flying saucer occupants wear coveralls has driven me far more insane than any Epstein shit has. <laughs> I, 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 I can relate. Okay. So basically from what I've gathered, um, a Pentagon and CIA contracted scientist called Eric Davis held a meeting with, uh, an Admiral Wilson. And uh, from the notes that Eric Davis took, um, basically the implication is that um, the Pentagon is not only aware that UAPs and UFOs are real, but according to uh, Eric Davis's notes, um, there was a crash at some point in either the 1940s or the 1950s where they retrieved technology from the wreckage um, and tried to reverse engineer it, which kind of syncs up with To the Stars Academy's uh, modus operandi. One of their things is that they want to reverse engineer alien tech. And I'm just reading directly from the Wilson documents here, uh, where it's really Eric Davis's notes about the meeting that he had. They had an intact craft they believe could fly. They were asked, was it from overseas or not? They said, no. Um, they asked, where did this come from? Admiral Wilson replied, program manager said they didn't know where it was from. It was technology that was not of this earth. It was not made by man, and it was not made by human hands. Uh, so Eric Davis's notes are kind of scattershot, but they also say uh, that he was told that the Pentagon was trying to understand and exploit technology. Their program was going on for years and years with very slow progress, and that there was also kind of a civil war within the Pentagon and the CIA between who would get to take control of this craft. And then I remember messaging you a summary of uh, what was in the Wilson docs, which was basically uh, the implication is that there is at least one verified crash from decades ago uh, and the Pentagon or elements within the Pentagon took the tech from the crash to reverse engineer it. They may have even succeeded, but because the project is very deep inside the Pentagon and the staff and budget is kept relatively small, it has led to a lot of uh, bureaucratic infighting. Furthermore, they possibly have developed reverse engineered uh, vehicles with this technology, and that could account for a lot of the UFO sightings that we're seeing right now. But due to the energy source uh, that they use to power this craft, I sound like a crazy person. <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean, Eric, I mean, sounds the, so the thing is that, like, I mean, Eric Davis is supposed to be a respectable person. He's yeah, smart. this is the thing. Eric Davis is a legit scientist, and this was what he had in his notes. But that's the thing. Like, we're also talking about Eric Davis and that they're literally his notes. And this is a man who, according to a number of people I've talked to, was a consultant on the Netflix show Dark. 
if this is true that he did consult on the show, that's because Eric Davis believes that there's a portal in the Atlantic Ocean <laughs> off the coast of Europe. So basically, just to just to wrap up the Wilson doc. So basically, yeah, they say that. Um, so they've reverse engineered some of this alien, supposed alien technology that they retrieved from a crash. But due to the energy source that they use to power this craft, releasing this information would basically destroy uh, the petrodollar and overthrow the existing world economic order. So various secret and private actors working uh, without the US government's knowledge have been locked in a battle to control the technology and the research and development. And key dif- disinformation agents like Elizondo and patsies like Tom DeLong have been used to muddy the waters and kind of vex and frustrate and discredit any attempt to expose any of this. Um, and also, they apparently recovered alien bodies from one of these crashes. Uh, that's that's what they say, yeah. I uh, but that, that was a... believe that I am I am here saying all this shit. It's you know? <laughs> an excellent summary, and the only uh, addendum I have to it is that the uh, things that they say are literally just things that they say. Yeah, I mean, you, you, I don't know how seriously to take any of this. You'll probably... Uh, consider this like hopelessly uh, naive or misguided but my honest thinking is that the only way you can explain a lot of the insane shit that the national security state has done uh, to uh, peddle disinformation around UFOs you know so Benowitz and now to the Stars Academy and whatnot sure the only way you can explain that is if they either do actually have access to a crashed extraterrestrial craft of some kind okay or they have actually developed some kind of advanced green uh technology mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and they are absolutely terrified that the the knowledge of that will leak out to the populace so they are muddy in the waters with all this ufo shit that's um i i Pretty good, actually. Yeah, yeah. My, oh, thank my, you. Thank you. <laughs> my my favorite summary of the whole UFO bullshit is um, from William Hoagland on Twitter, uh, just like in th- this past May, and he said that uh, what's cool about UFO is that they're real and also total bullshit. On that uh, note, we kind of need to come back to the metamaterials. <laughs> and just discuss them very briefly before we go on to the next part yeah, of the I, show. Yeah, I, I can do this quick. I can do this real no quick. No worries, man. Go for it. So in when Art Bell was still hosting Coast to Coast, he uh, was came into possession of what people began to call Art's Parts, which um, are these, these chunks of metal that were gifted to him by a listener who said that uh, had this great story about his dad being in the army and he was involved in a uh, crash retrieval program and was able to get these pieces of a supposedly flying saucer and pocket them and take them home. And then his son ended up giving them to Art Bell just as like a, a, a gratuity kind of thing. Thanks for making me feel valid. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he, Art Bell ends up gifting them to a uh, very well-known crank, Linda Moulton Howe. Um, at the time, she 
was probably a little bit more credible. All the journalists seemed to, over time, deteriorate their credibility. But this is back quite a while ago. And he gave them to her, and she kept them in a safe deposit box for a very long time. Well, remember Linda uh, Moulton Howe is the, uh, the woman who was involved in... Um kind of tan- cat- tangentially related to Dulce Vase and uh, Paul yeah, Benowitz. Yeah, she was in a, in, she was one of uh, Paul, Be- uh, uh, not Paul Benowitz, um, uh, Richard Doty's favorite Yeah, people. yeah, yeah. Um, she was also, I, I think there's a lot of parallels between her and Leslie Keene. But anyways, so Linda Moulton Howe comes into possession of arts parts, holds on to them for a very long time, literally in a safe deposit box, apparently, is, or at least that's what, they showed on ancient aliens um and she just sells these medals to um ttsa for i think 35 grand about 35 grand and um this is in 2018 i believe that seems like an and insanely low amount of money this seems like a very <laughs> small amount of money i totally agree which is again the amount of like things that are sus and the whole process of events and everything in the subject matter is ridiculous. So, anyways, um, she sells these pieces of special metal, apparently special metal, to to the stars. Then to the stars makes this announcement. So this says October 17, 2019, to the Stars Academy of Arts and Science, TTSA, announced today a cooperative research and development agreement, parentheses, CRADA with the U.S. Army Combat Capabilities Development Command to advance TTSA's material and technology innovations in order to develop enhanced capabilities for Army ground vehicles. I have no idea what to make of this. Other than that, I stopped taking TTSA seriously when they announced this. Right, so we're doing the fun stuff now. (laughs) Absolutely, I'm sick of this shit. We didn't want to send you home as a listener, like fully depressed and miserable. So what we thought we'd do is discuss some of our favorite UFO incidents. And I thought that I would take the lead on this one and share my first favorite incident. So imagine you are a uh, well-established Hollywood actor. And one night in 1997, you were flying your son to Arizona to drop him off because he wants to go on a date with his girlfriend. And as you are kind of flying into the airport, getting ready to land, you notice six lights arranged in a V shape above the airport, kind of hovering there. And you call it in to air traffic control and you say, you know, are you you seeing this on radar? And air traffic control says, you know, we're not getting anything. We're not getting any pings or anything. So you think, oh, well, fuck it. You land your plane, you drop your son off, you think no more of it, but you make sure to report it as a, you know, I I spotted some unidentified craft hovering over that airport. And then a few years later, I think two or three years later, you get home to your house in Beverly Hills in LA and your wife, Goldie Horn, is watching a documentary. (laughs) Yeah is watching a documentary about UFOs and 
she gets to a segment in this documentary about the Phoenix Lights. And you realize that not only did you witness the Phoenix Lights, but you were actually the first person to report them. Your name is Kurt Russell. What? Come on. Is that true? That is true. That is 100% true. Kurt Russell was the first person to report the Phoenix Lights. What am uh, I supposed to make of that? Basically, March 13th, 1997, Kurt Russell is the first person to see the Phoenix Lights and call it in. And then over the course of that night, there are several incidents witnessed by thousands of people of mysterious lights in a V-shape hovering over the city of Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, there's even some witnesses who say that they actually saw this object as it cleared the city, passed out into the countryside, and it was a black V-shaped object that was at least 1,000 feet in diameter. And it was it had like a sort of flight, like people saw it before it got to Phoenix, right? That's correct, yeah. 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 Um, and yeah, it, it's like we were saying, it's one of those situations where it's like, what? does God want me to do with this information? Uh, what am I to make of that? And then we were talking about um, like the way that the, the U.S. military and U.S. government tries to explain away this kind of thing. And uh, it made me laugh because they said that actually the, the Phoenix lights, this V-shaped object, was actually just uh, high-altitude flares that were being dropped by the U.S. Air Force. Yeah, I mean, like, this is, it's perfect because it's so neo-blue book. Like, and the, the one of the things I was blown away by, I, I say blown away a lot, but, like, the subject is so fucking insane. I haven't uh, acclimated and come up with a bunch of new phrases yet. So I say it a lot. The, the blue book went on for so long as a, just an absolute fucking joke. Like it, the amount of just insane fuckery that went on with mm -hmm. explaining away people's incredible, uh, um, uh, witness events. Like, like somebody would see like a sort of egg shaped object that shot two red lasers down to the ground but they also didn't meet the ground they stopped halfway and were cut off like sawed off lasers and then it sort of zipped around and then flew off and then the uh, blue book would say that it's uh, venus and jupiter on the horizon together even though also venus and jupiter weren't visible at the time it was just always shit like that and this sounds very similar it, the the way that the u.s government tries to kind of explain this shit away Reminds me very much of the uh, the Richard Pryor routine about being caught by his wife cheating with somebody else. When he says, "Are you gonna Are you gonna believe me? Are y'all lying eyes?" That's, <laughs> that's how it feels all the time when uh, you you see an incident like this that is undeniable and weird, and the U.S. government just feels compelled to try and explain it away anyway. I mean, that's, that's, that's perfect because, like, this is one of those incidents that, like, you can watch videos of this and, mm -hmm. it, like, this is a perfect example of don't believe your own eyes type shit. Like, it's, yeah. you can see it yourself. It's on the videos. It's on a bunch of videos. And yeah. the, 
idea that it'd be flares when it's relatively windy and stationary for a while over the city with thousands of people looking at it, including the governor. Yeah. It's insane. Yeah. What was the governor's name, man? Like Fife um, Symington. Right. That's it. So even he said he had seen this it shit. Took, it took him a while, though. Like he, um, you, are you familiar with what he did afterward? The sort of qual, um, keep a uh, uh, hysteria to a minimum i am not no go on he i mean obviously a bunch of people were upset about this and like wanted the government to look into this because everybody saw it took videos of it and fife simmington the governor at the time he um held a press conference and um uh basically made light of the situation and uh, had his chief of staff come out as a uh, in a gray alien outfit to like in front of a massive <laughs> in front of a massive press pool and people were just f- so fucking mad at him like for making fun of them i would be fuming about i that. would be too yeah. and like fife simmington later um admitted to james fox the documentary filmmaker who did the phenomenon recently um that yeah he was just trying to uh, he was basically told to make it go away and he thought that this was a good way to do that even though he saw it too that is absolutely fascinating i could i could spend hours thinking about who told him to make it go away like hey i the, the uh, phoenix lights is really interesting to me I, i'm still not like i text when we were talking about doing this episode i text i texted a couple friends asking was because I'm still not sure. I was like, was the Phoenix likes legit? <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> but it, it fucking appears to be very, um, pretty, pre- pretty credible, regardless of what it actually was. It's very strange. It's in that category of uh, incidents where it's like, I, I'm not comfortable saying what it was one way or the other. But... Yeah, the, the, the military's explanation is ridiculous, but at the same time, like, I i i couldn't make up my mind like i was i texted a couple friends yesterday being like is this real is this a legit event i still don't know yeah and then what fucks me up the most about it is that so this happened in 1997 then 11 years later april 2008 it happens again over phoenix the exact same formation of life are you serious serious they appear as a square at first and then they change to a triangular formation and then the witnesses once again say that they were witnessing a gigantic uh v-shaped carpenter square shaped craft that drifted across the city and then disappeared uh out of sight Hmm. amazing the thing is like okay so we could say okay it was aliens that's pretty fucking cool but then we could also say it was some weird government experiment which is also equally fucking cool you know like sure but like also why <laughs> why phoenix like, why, why phoenix like why, why roswell <laughs> you know like i mean there is something special about new mexico i swear to god there's there's something about that state or mm. that area of land that like um they're really i don't i don't know how much legitimacy there is to shit like ley lines or those weird vortexes of energy that are supposed to come out of the earth according to people like like david wilcock and shit or whatever but like there's something weird about new mexico that state has way more secrets than the rest of the country combined i don't know why but there's something special about new mexico 
Yeah, some I think some places just kind of psychically attract like bad juju. Bad yeah, voodoo. Maybe there is some legitimacy to the ley lines stuff, <laughs> but like in a like a not hack version of ley line stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. My turn. Hit me with uh, one of your faves. Let's All right, go. so I've got. Um, I'm gonna start with my short one. I've got a uh, the Falkville, Alabama spaceman. Hell yes. This is. Let's do it. I, I I we don't have a ton of information on this. I only know about it because of a really interesting. Um, front. It's it's. It, I found it in the back of a above top secret by Timothy by Timothy Good. Mm-hmm. Uh, Timothy Good should be noted fell for the MJ12 documents. Um, he, uh, w- there were a couple people. I think um, one of them was Jan Eldrich, another veteran UFO researcher who wanted nothing to do with the MJ12 documents when they were given to her. Should just before we get into uh, your favorite incident, uh, we should probably actually just sketch out what MJ12 was because we've mentioned it a couple of times, but. Um... It was basically a, a hoax set of documents that the U.S. government designed to drive people insane. I think um, the I think the best way to put it is that it's like a meme. I mean, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. it's an idea. It's an it's an idea it. that was seeded and now is taken on new forms. Yeah, I. That's brilliant. That is the best way of thinking about it, really. So it was a hoaxed set of documents that were supposed to show high level conversation about ufos and cover-ups and alien bodies and whatnot yeah the the origins of mj12 was i don't know if we can again i don't know if we can take richard doty afosi agent at his word but he says that these documents were made above his pay grade um the um but i do again believe that he is in some respect telling the truth here and that these are fake i think it's pretty well established that these shits are fake the mj12 documents um i think the first iteration of them they were leaked to a a, a, a ufo researcher slash filmmaker um and they were the uh, it was a roll of film um photos that when developed were uh these what are now known as the eisenhower briefing document which is a, I think, five-page document that was supposedly given to Eisenhower when he took office, briefing him on the um, existence of this supposed group called Majestic 12, which was comprised of 12 people, scientists, defense people, intelligence people, and government people. Um, uh, And their uh, group's existence was to facilitate the retrieval... um, uh, analysis and re-engineering of craft uh, crashed um, UFOs, basically, uh, such as Roswell, is to add to that mythology. Um, yeah, which I mean, it's people like Roscoe Hillencotter, the first director of the CIA and later director of, uh, on the board of NICAP, or like Vannevar Bush, or like all all these people who would make sense to be part of it. Um, but it is bullshit. Like it's. But that's the other thing. Is it bullshit or is it just like, <laughs> is it bullshit documents when really the whole thing exists and then the baby's thrown out with the bathwater, et cetera? It's, it's like you said, wilderness of mirrors. Wilderness of mirrors. So, sorry, man. I, I no, got you're good. You're good. hijacked you're good. there on a tangent, but sorry, go on. <laughs> so I'm going to start with my short one, which is the um, 
the Falkville, Alabama spaceman. Set the stage for us. So what yeah. happens? Like... So there's a police chief in Falkville, Alabama, who on uh, 17 October 1973, his name is Jeff Greenhaw, um, saw what he called the spaceman. And it was a guy. We'll we'll put photos on the Patreon or whatever. I, I it, they're so good to look at. He took four photos, and he sees this thing, confronts it, and then it runs off, um, taking huge strides. Um, and the policeman was unable to catch up with him in his patrol car, which um, uh, sort of echoes of Mothman there, right? So the this thing outran a patrol car basically correct and it was taking strides that were like 15 feet just poo, right, poo, right, right. Poo. and then um after this because greenhaw was very upfront about it and said it was real he suffered what um timothy good calls a spate of bad luck um somebody burned down his mobile home his car engine blew up he was asked to resign as police chief and his wife left him it genuinely sounds like an x-files episode it's like, insane i mean yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it's it's even more insane looking at the photo but yeah it very much like um spring hill jack or like um any of these t- sort of like mothman type weirdo things that like appear for a little while and then sort of go away but during that time where they're around is kind of like uh, everybody's seeing it. i mean it's very strange that kind of but, goes back to what we were talking about about recurring uh features of these visitors kind yeah. of thing um because i remember you saying the, the talking about the overalls the some of the visitors the coveralls yeah. yeah spring hill jack had coveralls i <sighs> no it's it fuck like fuck me yeah, <laughs> I want to die it's like why do i why did i get into this all right you okay next. so my next favorite um incident is probably the rash of mystery airship sightings that happened in america in the late 19th century so it's so good go for it go for it this is awesome so um mike dash who is a historian uh he wrote about them and he said this uh quote not only were the mystery airships bigger faster and more robust than anything then produced by the aviators of the world they seemed to be able to fly enormous distances and some were equipped with giant wings. The 1896 to 1897 airship wave is probably the best investigated of all historical anomalies. The files of almost 1,500 newspapers from across the United States have been combed for reports, an astonishing feat of research. The general conclusion of investigators was that a considerable number of the simpler sightings were misidentifications of planets and stars and a large number of the more complex, the result of hoax and practical jerks. A small residuum remained perplexing. I love that. I think that... The, I, I think these are so interesting. The, 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 I mean, there was a number of people who actually interacted with the, uh, the, the people who was flying the airship. Yeah, right? you're quite right. You're quite right. There's, there's one witness who I think he was in Kansas or Arkansas, I think it was Arkansas. Um, is this is is this the guy who was asked to get water? Uh, he he was told by an airship pilot 
that he he needed to kill Spaniards to <laughs> what? <laughs> I haven't heard this. He was told by an airship pilot that he needed to kill Spaniards and he needed to use the Hotchkiss gun to do that. The Hotchkiss gun. The Hotchkiss gun. gun. So wait a minute, I'm going to Google the Hotchkiss gun. So basically, it kind of looks like a uh, a very early. Um, it kind of looks a bit like a cannon, but it's a very early machine gun. It's a revolving cannon Whoa. kind of thing. He wants to kill the Spanish. He them. wants to, the alien wants this guy to kill Spaniards with this gun. <laughs> um, and what's it, what's very interesting about this is the first rash of sightings occurred in San Francisco, and sure. I mean. There's something about the West. I mean, I'm obviously I'm not American, and I don't, you know, I've not, I don't live there or anything. No. But there's something about the West Coast of America that seems to encourage yeah. this kind of um, occultism. I don't know how else to describe it, really. It's, I, I think it is. I can't remember who I heard say it, but it, I think it's frontier mindset. Frontier mindset. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's. I mean, it starts with manifest destiny and the new world, and then it evolves into we have it all and then we still need to conquer frontiers because that's how the mindset of the country the 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 mindset the country was founded on and then you go to stuff like starship troopers and then we still have frontier mindset and still have to do it all over the galaxy and the mythology that has to exist to facilitate that type of mindset i think is very um uh emblematic in this and the but at the same time the frustrating part is that i think a lot of it is legit (laughs) i think what's also really interesting about the mystery airship uh phenomenon is what year is this this, again so this is 1897 this is when this happened 1896 to 1897 roughly which is about 15 years before the first rigid airship was yeah um so what's quite interesting about it is the fact that it seems to anticipate the the next phase of technological development and in the the etchings in the the newspapers these airships all have propellers and stuff and then you flash to the 1940s ufos are flying saucers suddenly streamlined you know no signs of rivets or welding or anything like that. Exactly. And then by the 1980s and the 1990s, that's when you get black triangles, which for all intents and purposes, they look exactly like stealth bombers. I I, I wanted to add to the airship thing that um, one of my favorite instances of an airship sighting and landing was, um, I think it was also in Kansas or Oklahoma or something. There was came through the middle of the United States on that sort of oblique running from the Midwest to the South. Uh, uh, southwest to the um, northeast and the um, my favorite description was that the airship had uh, a sort of locomotion type of uh, propulsion like it had like the shit that trains have and I thought that was so funny because it makes absolutely no sense but like that's what they said it saw and this is a, a person who this is um, uh, included in Passports Magonia this person said that they talked to the um pilots of the airship and the pilots asked um him to go to the well and get water i mean yeah i could i could go into a whole nother thing with another favorite sighting but i'm not going to you can just read passports begonia it's very good 
Right, okay. This is really random, but I am going somewhere with this. Have you ever read It by Stephen King? The monster in that book assumes the shape of the things that people are most afraid of kind of thing. Like the X-Cops episode of X-Files. Precisely. So I find it interesting that these unidentified flying objects seem to assume the shape of things that would be familiar to people of that era or things that people are scared of of that era. You know what I mean? All of this can boil down to the uh, our underestimation of the human imagination. I'm very much of the mind that like we don't have everything fucking figured out and that enough energy and um directed toward a certain concept or whatever can in some way manifest whether it's in real corporeal form or in minds um i kind of i i get what you're driving at and just in case any listeners are like losing us here what i think what we're basically saying is that it is fuck you this is a very yeah um <laughs> I mean, well, like i i don't like if you if you can't get over this hump like grow yeah get, grow yeah grow right but basically <laughs> what we're saying is that um whether it's the mystery airships or the you know the black triangles in the 80s and 90s what what we're talking about is people this is kind of a valet a jacques valet kind of thing but people believe in this shit so much that it is real to them it becomes a new right. form of reality because they see this shit in the sky um, exactly. and that's why the internet has become such an interesting kind of um player in all this since we've been doing this show i've kind of gone down the rabbit hole of following people's uh videos and stuff that they they post on reddit and twitter of ufos and it could be anything it could just be something that they've done in an app in five minutes on their phone but it creates its own reality to the point where people think that this shit is really happening in the skies that um ufos and aliens are actually trying to communicate with us and and whatnot and and that's really all it takes is like the reason that people still believe the mj12 documents are real is because all it fucking takes is seeding the idea yeah yeah and it will literally it'll mutate and take on every life possible of its own especially in this fucking awful meat informational hellscape that we live in right now with the internet all right we got umo U-M-M-O, all caps. You've been fucking telling me about this all week, and I, I don't know what the fuck it is, so I really want to hear this. Like, <laughs> It is, I mean, the, the best part about it is you could just read the short story by Jorge Luis Borges called Tlon Ukbar Orbis Tertius, and it will be the exact okay. same thing. Okay, go on, hit me with it. I think that story is from the 50s, and it's it's the first story in his collection called Labyrinths, and he uh, it's I think it's the real life version of his mm. story. Um, this takes place in France and Spain mostly, and basically starts with um, a guy. Uh, the way that Valet tells the story in a very narrative form in his book, The Invisible College, he starts with a guy who um, is named Carlos, who thought the weather would uh, start getting too hot for walks pretty soon. So he started taking a bunch of walks in the spring to get make the most of it. And he saw, you know those little um, 
what are they called? Macrones, those little colored um, like food things that I don't like the smell of. I was talking about how I love hoaxes earlier, like a like a good yeah. hoax. This it appears as maybe the most intricate hoax of all time. Um, because it begins with a guy seeing a flying saucer that looks like a Macron, like uh, sort of coming above the trees and sort of like banking a little bit and then shooting off into the distance. And before it does that, he sees that on the underside of it, it has a sort of letter H insignia on the bottom of it with a line through the dash in between the the two long lines of the H. And then uh, the next morning, um, a Mr. Antonio San Antonio, great name, of the um, evening paper Informaciones received a telephone call from a man who told him he was uh, going to give him five of these photos that he took of this thing. Um, and he gave him an address and he went to go pick them up and they were pretty bad photos. And there was also clearly a few of them missing, which he kept, um, which was kind of interesting. The paper published the five photos actually, even though they were pretty bad. And then two months after that, on August 26th, uh, 1967, another um, witness named um, Antonio Pardo produced two photographs that were just as bad as the first. More people start seeing this UFO with the the H on the bottom in France and Spain. And it also all of a sudden starts over the course of months, by the way. And also it just starts dropping these little conical things, like these little cylinders, um, which seems insane that like a UFO would just sort of like shed little metal cylinders but it appears that's the case and then a bunch of people recover them and some people play with them and break them and then there's ads in the newspaper for people inquiring to buy them uh there's one great uh ad that shows up in the paper that says all correspondence this is at the end of a uh, inquiry into um, getting acquiring the uh the cylinders that the ufo dropped says all correspondence must be directed before june 28th to mr antoine nancy um which is like why why yeah yeah why before June twenty eighth? But it also gets even weirder because then, like, the people who were sort of at the edges of this, the shop owners and stuff nearby, who started getting people coming through their store saying they saw all this weird shit. A bunch of people being in like hysterics and literally crying when they were telling shop owners about this stuff. Um, these shop owners started getting letters in the mail. Um, not just from uh, people like looking for these weird things, but also letters that were um, uh, from other planets, apparently. Um, Sounds a little bit like uh, Mothman in a weird it way. It does sound a little bit like yeah, Mothman. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, it, 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 the other thing about the cylinders that I forgot to mention was that they were – one was acquired and analyzed and the plastic material was identified by spectral analysis to be polyvinyl fluoride, which is entry number 5.29 
in the book Identification and Analysis of Plastics. Right. Okay. Which was exclusively made by DuPont. Boom. <laughs> and not available for commercial purchases. <laughs> so then people start getting uh, typewritten messages from aliens um, from the uh, planet Umo. Um, there was it was actually like a huge fucking deal, thousands and thousands and thousands of pages. Um, they're all stamped with the H with the line through it. The Spanish government gets involved. One of the guys in the Spanish government, um, this guy named Fernando Manzona, he uh, founded his own flying saucer group, um, and he was pretty prepared to uh, receive letters himself from these aliens. And uh, it's, it's a pretty, pretty good coincidence. And then he, um, I mean, people just started getting flooded with this stuff. And they uh, purport, like the letters were supposedly from the aliens and whether or not, they were postmarked from all over the world. They were postmarked from Australia, from uh, Europe and Asia and New Zealand, but they all had the little H on them. And they, the letters were basically just, a very, very, very long explanation as to who these Umo people were, what their planet is like, um, what uh, um, their uh, e uh, economy is like, like what the um, their symbols mean, and like how they perceive the world. And it's it's very reminiscent of. Uh, are you familiar with Serpo? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's very reminiscent of Serpo. <laughs> Give um, just let the listeners know what Serpo actually is. Like Serpo is a Richard Doty psyop, <laughs> and we'll it's remember a, that Doty was one of the guys who drove Paul Benowitz insane with fake UFO shit in the eighties. So Richard Doty, before I move on real quick, he isn't just limited to Richard Doty. He um a is a bunch of online personalities as well. There yeah. was a very, very famous um, email group where he appeared in, where, where he uh, sort of um, premiered the concept of uh, Operation Serpo, which is a very um, uh, close encounters of the third kind type of exchange program with a far distant planet and their aliens and some of our people. Um, it's literally exactly what Close Encounters is, which, I mean, I wish we could do a 30-hour episode. <laughs> but anyways, um, so people start getting these letters. So here's, one, here's what one of those letters says. We wish to inform planet Earth of our origin and proceedings and the objectives of our visit to you. We come from Umo, a planet that revolves around the star IUMMA, recorded on your earth under the denomination Wolf 424. We, we received instructions on 12 January 1965, Earth Christian era in parentheses, regarding the orientation and limits of this information. Approved redaction, dot, dot, dot. And there's a lot of these letters. It turns out that it looks like this planet was real. Wolf 424. It looks like there's some controversy behind it because they specify how far away it is from Earth, that it's 3.68502 light years. Then there's some debate of whether that what time this was recorded at and whether or not that's true because it turns out that they did discover that planet and it's real. What the fuck? 
What? So, yeah. So what it looks like is there's just like I was talking about with the Borges story is there's a very educated, like to the point where they're and the precipice of uh, knowledge, like uh, they're the ones creating, the, discovering all the new things like new planets. They're also, there's a group of hoaxers who do shit like this, where they write thousands of pages of nonsense, um, predicting the existence of planets and stuff and deliver them to people in Spain and France. <laughs> My, the last thing I want to leave this on is um, one of the letters was, <laughs> we talked in the last episode about how there was the fear that the aliens would be socialist, <laughs> communist. <laughs> one of the letters the title a warning to mankind said this is from the planet umo by the way men of earth we can we convey to you our sincere condolences at the occasion of the death of your brother thinker and mathematician bertrand russell pretty good right fucking awesome the expeditionary group that originated with the solidified celestial body umo is found among the citizens of various nations on earth with the man Bertrand Russell and other names among his brothers, Mirandas K. Gandhi, Ernesto Che Guevara, Helder Camara, <laughs> John the 23rd, Martin Luther King, Karl Marx, Emmanuel Monroe, uh, Tolstoy, and others. Come on. Fuck's sake. Like... And they say they have... Uh, dedicated their life to transforming the society into which they were inserted, orienting it in the direction of negative entropy towards forms more in conformity with the ethical norms of collective coexistence. This this is one of my, I love Umo. It's so interesting. I don't, I mean, it does appear that it was a very elaborate hoax, but like it's, a blast i it's this is this is the type of shit that we wanted to end this episode with the fun stuff oh also also what last sorry sorry i forgot one more thing the um you're familiar with lani zamora i'm not no go for it uh Sicaro, New Mexico was um this is the this is the case that a lot of people claim was the turning point for J. Allen Hynek, the head scientific consultant on Project Blue Book. Is this the cop who saw Yes. Yeah, right. He saw like he an saw, egg ship craft in the desert. And he saw a very similar symbol on it. I remember this from um the phenomenon film because Yeah, it, it's it's an, a very interesting sighting. The the cops so basically there's this cop, Lonnie Zamara. He's like driving along and he sees this egg ship craft in the desert that has actually landed, he says. And this is the type of cop who's like he's He's like Richard Jewell. Yeah, he's a very he's hyper comp hyper competent, very yeah. uh, very careful about his work. Yeah. He cares a lot and takes very close attention to everything. Yeah, this is what is this the nineteen fifties? I believe this is the, the mid sixties. Mid sixties, okay. So he is driving along, he sees this egg egg ship craft in the desert. He pulls over, he goes to inspect it. And he sees that this craft apparently is, um, it has three uh, struts coming out of it that are holding it up as it's landed. 
and there are beings, shall we say, like little guys, little guys, little guys. guys. There's some little guys like uh, to and fro and around the best. I'm I'm not positive. I want to say they were wearing something like coveralls. So basically, when they see that he is watching them, they jump back on board the craft and they yeah they get they get spooked yeah (laughs) and then when the other cops turn up uh to the sighting of this landing they take uh measurements and stuff of the the footprints that are around where the craft was supposed to be yeah he was he was competent enough to like mark the spot yeah yeah. because he actually cared what the fuck is this all about man like I, i could think about this for hours because the thing that makes me think that something legit was happening here is the fact that he never wanted to talk about it and yeah he ended up if i'm not mistaken he ended up moving away from the town and quitting i'm pretty sure that's true yeah man. he didn't want to talk about it he didn't want to be known as the cop who saw the aliens it's weird how so many people are on board with the ufo stuff ever since the 40s mm. and then also you can't talk about it because you're a kook you're yeah yeah like, how does that work? Yeah. Um, but this is the thing, like, his case is one of those where I'm like, I I don't know if he saw the things that he's saying he saw. I believe that he believes that he saw those things. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And, uh, and then Heineck was out there, like, within a day or two. Yeah. Um, and saw the imprints and shit. Yeah. This, this is one of my big things with this is, this these things like whether or not they're quote unquote real, um, people do see them and they greatly affect their lives, including myself. Actually, what was the story about the uh, the guys who were on like a drinking binge and? Oh, so so like um, I used to at the time I was coming. I think it was fall. It was either fall or spring of like, um, 2017 or 2018. And I would come home the same way. I'd go to work and come home the same way every day. And, oh my fucking God. I just remembered that the guys that I talked to who were waiting for the orbs, which we did see, um, uh, that was literally within 400 feet of where i saw my black triangle right i'm i'm gonna interject here and say for the listeners who might be like uh feeling a little bit apprehensive here right neither one of us is saying that these are alien spacecraft or anything insane like that but he has recorded very strange fucking objects floating around um above his uh domicile right the 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 strangest ones, of course, I did not record, <laughs> as 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 is the case all the time. Yeah, right. So all I'm saying, listeners, I have seen the videos that Bradley has sent to me. They are legit. I trust the guy. I trust that he has not doctored these in any way. There are very strange orbs that happen to float above his neighborhood from time to time. Um, but neither one of us is saying that they are alien craft. We're just saying that's pretty fucking weird, you know. I mean, you also don't have to take it from me. You can take it from a legendary Detroit-based paranormal researcher, John E. L. Tenney. Yes, he is currently investigating a um a, a, a massive wave of weird shit that happened in Michigan in 2018. Um, I am I'm partway through an email. I'm writing to him to actually say he's wrong and that it's actually 2017. 
Um, but these like things just start, he, people just started seeing these things like little furry triangles that are zipping around neighborhoods and are like, Oh yeah, dude, it is a bizarre (laughs) story. Um, there's so many of these too from 2018. Um, there, there very much was something. I mean, I'm I'm not the only one too. I have friends I was with when I saw some of this stuff. There was one time I, on my way home from work, I saw these guys in the back of a pickup truck having beers in the parking lot in my elementary school looking west i remember when you told me about that and that just sounded like the coolest fucking thing it was it was it was like it was very um because i'd I'd seen some stuff with some friends at that point but like i'd never talked to strangers about it and i saw it was very obvious driving by that that's what they were doing they were waiting for the orbs that came by at sunset i would fucking love it if like i was on my way home from work and i it was it was sick they were all like wearing tank tops and like like chubby and drinking beers yeah and just just chill with them and just watch the skies yeah i rolled up and so i rolled up into the parking lot and i was like uh what are you guys doing and it's like (laughs) they're like the orbs come around sunset. Awesome. And it was like, you're right. They do. <laughs> um, I never got any of their names or phone numbers or anything, but I, that was, it was a very human experience and I loved it very much. But then also, nah, we don't have to get into that. Uh, go on, go on. What were you going to say? So, yeah, I did. I actually, earlier I did say I was going to make my triangle story, my last personal story. So in the end of summer of 2017 i was working till about midnight every night and at a cookie shop and i was coming home one night and this is already after a few months of me being very aware that there's something weird going on in the sky um and looking at the sky constantly and constantly pointing out to people a bunch of weird shit in the sky which i mean that range from like red lights darting around to uh weird translucent rectangles that sort of have three little lights on it that sort of whip through the sky and disappear to like a strobe light that will whip around and then disappear it was bizarre that this stuff was actually happening and i had checked in with friends to make sure that they remember that this should actually happen and they said they do uh because i was really convinced that this one thing that happened to me didn't happen for a while which was i was heading home from work a little after midnight pretty close to 1 a.m i was feeling really good it was a really good day and it was really nice out and there was a light in the sky earlier in the day that i was kind of suspicious of it felt like it was moving but not in the way that like a twinkling star looks like it's moving but moving in like a sort of undulating like a gyroscopic almost kind of like way it was it was bizarre and then it starts moving more and i pull over into this parking lot across from the elementary school that i went to which was where the guys in the truck were and on the other side of that um, i'm looking at it I mean, it's a church parking lot there's a highway on one side the school on the other side of the road and the star gets approached by a kind not strobing but pulsing red light which i'd seen one night before but couldn't really quantify or like make any sense of but i had seen it one night before a couple months ago and it approaches this sus star and then doesn't loop around but immediately 
just goes back exactly the way it came without sort of banking or anything. And then I'm looking at that and I'm like, what the fuck? And then this light, this star looking light moves up and away and then swoops down and within three seconds is within like a thousand feet of me. And it's not a single light. It looked like a light. It looked like a star, but it was a, uh, it was one of these black triangles that people talk about. And it had a bright white light on each point and one bright white light in the center, all steady, uh, not blinking. And it cruised right over the church across the street. And I just watched it to go until I couldn't see it anymore. And the only reason I know this actually happened was because it, it, for months I was like, this didn't happen. And then I, and then I like remembered how I reacted to it. And I just plopped down in the middle of this parking lot in this, this church in the middle of the night and was like, sat there for 10 minutes. <laughs> and I wouldn't have done that if I didn't actually see this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's, at the time I was very much of the mind, I was uh, very convinced that, I mean, I've, anybody who's into the ufo thing goes back and forth between what they think the ufos are at this point i thought they were very much uh a type of dr stephen greer type of um uavs um the uh uh unidentified aerial vehicles like the ones that were re-engineered and i was very much of that mindset at the time when i saw this which i think is really interesting i don't know what to make of it i don't know if it was even it shook me a lot because if it was what I actually saw with my eyes, that means it has corporeal form and mass. It's an actual um, object there. In yeah, it's time. a literal fucking spaceship. Yeah, yeah. Which I don't know what to make of that. <laughs> that, that, that one really shook me. And I that that's when I really, really, really started to get fucked up about this shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What made me think you were you know a sound guy to talk to about stuff like this is because you were my i had good x-files takes yeah yeah Mm -hmm. that and the fact that like you you are willing to say i saw some weird shit i don't know what it was but here it is i that's another thing i learned from john tenney i think it's the only thing we can do is that drawing conclusions is just makes it mythology right i saw some weird shit did i send you that picture that day um, which one fuck man it's the one and only time i've seen seen some. i don't strange. think so all right okay if i've still got the picture on my phone i will upload it onto the patreon as additional you know errata for the uh the episode that's the 500 dollar tier ah it's like so basically i got on the bus a couple of months ago i was going to work it was like oh okay yeah i did yeah, see this. yeah, yeah half yeah. five in the morning or something the sun, I swear to God, the fucking sun was up and way to the right of me. And then I just saw this glowing sphere in the sky. I don't know what it was. It could have been a meteor or a satellite or something, to be fair. Um, but yeah, I snapped a picture of it and I was like, holy fucking shit, it's happening to me now as well. Yeah, I remember <laughs> this, yeah. I have never seen a UFO. And now that I've started getting interested in the subject, I'm suddenly seeing ufos on the way to work yeah it's weird huh? <laughs> i mean that that was my whole thing too it was like i was into this stuff before why am i the only one seeing yeah yeah it's it's truly 
one of the most interesting and complicated. And I, th I think valet calls it like the sort of extent of the uh, human mind's imagination and a bunch of other stuff too. Yeah. Right. So we're kind of, we're kind of getting towards the end now. So I guess we need to think about wrapping up. I've really enjoyed just this conversation that we've had. Yeah, this um, is this truly, a, I, I never thought my stupid, big, dumb hyper fixation on <laughs> this UFO thing for the past decade would actually, um, amount to anything like it would actually come to anything so this is really nice and here you are podcasting about it so yeah be, be, I've, you live long enough to see yourself uh what is it this batman shit i've become the <laughs> villain i'm the podcaster i guess like both of us are still kind of ambiguous about what is actually going on we're you know we're not willing to say one way or the other and i think that, that it's is the responsible thing to do yeah as a noob, I, I don't have like any hugely uh, insightful sort of summing up thoughts about this stuff. But what what about yourself? Like, uh, what could you possibly leave us with to think about? I'm going to begin the end by saying that probably something I should have said at the beginning of this, which is that this shit is insane. And I can only assume that it is insane by design. Luckily for you, I saw UFO when I was 14 and have had a very long, oftentimes crippling hyperfixation on the UFO bullshit. Um, but we share a common educated cynicism. Um, about 24 hours after the government's, the ODNI UFO report came out, CNN ran an article titled four takeaways from the U.S. intelligence community's UFO report. Their four takeaways being, quote, one, no evidence of aliens, but what are they? Two, no evidence of foreign government involvement either. Three, why don't they know more? Four, ufologists and some lawmakers disappointed. Disappointed indeed, but not for the reasons that the article suggests. While it is true that the report does, quote, raise more questions than it answers, it does answer a number of things which the commentary either can't see or can't say. And I, too, have four takeaways from the uh, U.S. intelligence community's UFO report. One, whatever form this new government UFO outfit ends up taking, the report makes it very clear that it will not in any way function as an interdisciplinary scientific endeavor. And it will, in fact, function solely as a U.S. intelligence gathering operation. Two, by the looks of it, these assholes are probably going to ride this years-long wave of vague, good media and manufactured public interest into getting more personnel and funding than any government UFO project ever, even though three... Any data the task force collects will obviously still be fucking classified, and therefore, this new and improved UFO data collection operation will not benefit any of us, aka regular people, in any meaningful way, and neither will the mainstreaming of UFO belief, because none of this happened organically, and our institutions and officialdom have only mainstreamed UFO belief because of its attached ambiguity and hyper-nationalist messaging, and in short, whatever the different 
actors' motivations are involved in this, like Louise Elizondo or Chris Mellon, et cetera, the end goals are that it serves a state security function. And that's basically where we're at now. So now we are at a very important moment where we can ask what Vladimir Lenin asked. What is to be done? And therefore, as we set sail, we ask God's blessing on the most hazardous and dangerous and greatest adventure on which man has ever embarked. To evil factors, demonic chapters shall be captured by kings through the storms of days after. And to the earth from the sun through triple darkness to blast you with a force that can't be compared to any firepower. For its mind power shared, the brainwave causes vessels to circulate like constellations reflect at night off the lake. Word to the father and mother earth, seeking everlasting life through this hell for what it's worth. Look, listen, and observe. And watch another sea cycle pulling my peeps to the curb. Heed the words, it's like ghetto-style proverbs. The righteous pay a sacrifice to get what they deserve. Cannot afford to be confined to a cell. Brainwaves swell, turning a desert to a well. Experience the best teacher. Fox will spray like street sweepers. Little daddy street preacher, illustrious feature. Narrator you select, accompanied by deck. Plus the DJ you respect. The seven and a half combined over the front line. The ten percenters promoting slander in the airtime. Bear in mind, jewels be the tools of the trade. Sharp blades, heavenly praise, and dues are paid. Above the crowds, above the clouds, where the sound of original infinite skills create miracles warrior spiritual above the clouds raining down holding it down yeah i leave scientists mentally scarred triple extra large wild like rock stars who smash guitars poison bars from the guards bust holes in your mirage and catch a charge shake them down like the riot squad invade your zone ruin like ancient rome i span the universe and return the earth to claim my throne the maker owner plus soul controller ayatollah Absolute.